All right. Well, welcome to part two of this very special uh, episode of the Big Ticket Life Show. We're calling this Success in America. I've got some amazing uh, friends and guests on the line to pick up on the conversation that we had last episode. So in case you missed it, I just want to give you a little bit of why here, why now, why this uh, little different context, little different theme of the show this time around. So if you've been following the show, I've talked off and on about my involvement with my son, my oldest son, who's now since graduated high school, has his career cemented in the construction trades. And, uh, you know, for me and our family, that was a real fight. We, we had to battle and advocate for our child. Uh, ninth grade freshman year was very difficult. He was suicidal. Uh, very, very, you know, very intense time for our family and for our son. And we had to fight to get him into the career centers in 10th grade. The minute this kid graduated, he just turned on a dime into an entirely different person as the summer progressed and he got closer to working uh, in, his, in his skill. Uh, he has just like totally changed again into an entirely different person. And for that reason, I wanted to bring you amazing people who have achieved success in our country who, uh, you know, look different than me, look maybe different than you, but are achieving amazing levels of success. And I bring this to you through the lens of education because there's a lot going on in our educational system right now. We'll talk about that with our guests. Uh, the thing that really kind of tuned me in and why I brought the guests that I brought together here today is back in April of 2020, when you were listening, you probably had your student at home if you have children. You know, they were home learning on their laptop during the pandemic. You know, I overheard my son at the time, his 11th grade teacher, teaching this unit. It's called the American Dream Unit. It's an English class unit. And uh, I overhear uh, across the house, he's in the kitchen, I'm in my office. I hear the teacher say, we're going to write an essay on why people of color can't achieve the American dream. And if we can bring that cartoon up, um, you know, I'm not here to dispute history. I'm, I'm actually here. I've educated a lot of people about history, um, you know, friends and peers who have, have asked questions about, well, you know, slavery had ended in our nation so why is everybody upset? Well, you know, what this cartoon is actually illustrating is what happened between slavery and the civil rights era. And one of my guests came up in that era today. So we're going to talk about that and his perspectives. But it was that statement of writing an essay on why people of color can't achieve the American dream that really burned me, uh, really turned something on in me to look at the way education looks at our children today looks at opportunity and predetermines who can succeed and who can't. And they teach that from the front of the classroom. And I find that really troubling. Uh, and there were other anecdotal examples. So throughout that, I've been involved with our local administration trying to do constructive things. I've invested for children to go to career camps. I've been the uh, lightning rod to start a career camp in our own school, which is looking like we'll carry on summer over summer. Uh, after that inaugural one in a couple of weeks uh, locally for us. So I am a big believer in the fact that college has a place in our uh, educational system, but I'm a bigger believer that skills and careers and competency and opportunity and that entrepreneurial spirit, uh, whether that's your own business or whether you just 
take a job and a role on like you own it, that's important too. So the folks that I have with me today, I'm not going to delay any longer. I would love to introduce you to them. Welcome to the show. We'll go ladies first, Gladys, Jeanette, Robert, Nelson, and Fabian Rabal. Welcome, everybody, for being on the show. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you for taking the time uh, to join us. I'm going to go go around clockwise, which means we'll start with Gladys. So I just want you to introduce yourself to our listeners, You know who you are, where you were born, what your journey's been like. Um, and you know, your your kind of your belief system around education and what your journey with education has been like. And if you need to cheat, you can look at the notes that I put in the chat. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is an open book test. <laughs> well, um, my name is Gladys Jeanette. Uh, I was born in Guatemala, in the city of Guatemala. Uh, my family immigrated here. Well, my mom immigrated first, and then she like requested me to come down um back in nineteen eighty four. So I've been here since nineteen eighty four. Um, I've been, I grew up in and out of the foster care system and I, I'm a high school dropout. (laughs) So there's a lot of people out there that, uh, dropped out of school and then they just figured that they couldn't do anything with themselves, but that's all wrong because now I'm a international real estate investor. I invest in the U S and I do also invest in four other countries. And again, I'm a high school dropout, but we figured it out. I never, ever thought that I couldn't be something. I always knew that I can be better at what everybody else around me was. I did not have any good examples. So I had to be the example for other people. Yeah, that's, that's really incredible. And, you know, Gladys, I'm going to, I'm going to push you a little bit because you have just an incredible story. Um, you know, I think for, for anybody listening to this, if you have a student, uh, a young a young child at home, uh, if you're in the classroom listening to this, there's no doubt you've heard of cryptocurrency. Gladys has brought cryptocurrency, uh, real estate, and, and buying real estate through cryptocurrency and blockchain technology to these other nations. Correct? Um, yes. Well, our company just opened up to be able to buy and sell real estate in um, El Salvador. That's the big, mm. the big one that we are focusing on right now. All the other countries yeah. are on hold because we're growing our crypto um, audience in El Salvador. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, just like I love big ideas and I love seeing them come to be. You're hearing somebody watching somebody on the show and it pays to watch the show too. You can find it on YouTube under the big ticket life, but you're you're hearing somebody like leading the way literally for an entire nation, which I think is just so very cool. So Gladys, welcome to the show. We're going to be talking with you more. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for joining us. Yep. So Robert, let's uh, let's have you uh, introduce yourself to everybody. Okay. Uh, I'm Thank you for having me back again, right? I was here. Mm-hmm. I was here yesterday. It was and you and me all, that, you know, I sat down with you to say, hey, can I have a conversation with you about these topics? And you said, absolutely. And then here we are. Yeah. And I want to thank the other guests because we also had a conversation and their willingness to actually be transparent and be willing to share information for the benefit of helping young people get a different perspective and not for any monetary gain whatsoever, but just because they have a passion and a heart to want to be a help. I really appreciate your presence. 
my story, uh, as I mentioned, is that I grew up in the civil rights era. I'm 61 years old. So, yeah, my birthday was up there. I'm 61 years old. So I grew up in the civil rights era, and I was one of the original uh, collections of people that were bused to uh, white communities so that we can get education. During that experience, it was very dramatic because part of that process was we would consistently go through race riots almost every month. And we were a small pocket of kids in a community, that, a white community, so that when the race riots jumped off, it wasn't just, we weren't just fighting kids. It was people coming out of their homes. The police that would come to the event would all be Caucasian. So it was a very traumatic experience. And going through that, you know, I'm grateful for a lot of those experiences. But the thought is, Many people think that once we made the decision that racism uh, is no longer acceptable, that all of the ramifications related to it stop. But that's not true because there are many institutionalized policies and procedures that make it difficult, if not impossible, for some people to make progress in certain areas. And for me, uh, my particular passion is that when I became conscious enough to realize that my life's purpose was more than just to live and die, and I started to look around my own community and I saw that my peers and younger people, I was in my 20s at that time, they were selling drugs on the street to make a living. So my logical decision was that if they can sell, let me see what I can do to be of assistance to help them sell something that's not so destructive for themselves or for the communities that they live in. So that started my journey to search out people like yourself, like people who are in this community, getting around like-minded people who have a very progressive way of thinking, to think about possibilities instead of obstacles, and that as I learned from that environment, I began to share that information to try to shift the mindset of some of these young people who think that, you know, this is their only option. This is their fate, but that's not necessarily true. They just need more exposure. Uh, one of the things you mentioned yesterday I didn't touch on was I, I am college educated. I took computer science in college and I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, my company, we actually service young people in high schools in Primarily the DFW area right now, but the programs that we have service young people in high schools across the country. So I'm honored to be here and anything that I can do to contribute to open up the eyes and create other opportunities, I want to be a part of that process. Because if we ain't part of the solution, we definitely part of the problem. 100%. Yep. Yeah, I often say we must be the change that we want to see. We have to be a part of that change, uh, you know, finance that change. Uh, lead that change, be a part of it, you know, whatever way we can. Everybody's got skills, everybody's got talents, and but to sit idly by is not uh, not a good idea. So thank you. Thank you for joining us again. Really appreciate you, my friend. I do. Fabian, Fabian Rubal, welcome to the show, my friend. It's so, a pleasure. Intro, intro for yourself, who you are, where you were born. You've got an amazing family lineage here in America. Let's why don't you share that with, with everybody? So my name is Fabian Rubal. I was born in Los Angeles, California. I am of Cuban descent. Um, my mom and my dad uh, both got here in the uh, mid-60s. My mom, 13. My dad, 14. Um, the crazy part is my mom is from one point of Cuba. My dad is from another point of Cuba. And they met here in high school. Um, if they would have never moved, if my family would have came from Cuba here, they would have never met, to be very honest. Um, I attended college. Uh, I went to college to play uh, college baseball. Um, I was able to, I was fortunate enough to play. I ended up uh, also going to college for three years, but when everything went sideways and um, my baseball career ended, uh, I dropped out. 
I had literally one semester left to get a college degree. And I said, this wasn't for me. Um, I really knew that the only reason I was in college was to hopefully maybe make it to the next step of any, a bus ticket. <laughs> it didn't matter to me uh, to, to continue playing. Um, and it didn't happen. So uh, when that happened, I was a mechanical engineer major. And the crazy part was when I left school, I ended up falling into uh, working with two different engineering firms and then um, kind of got my feet cut from underneath me because I was supposed to get a promotion and one of my supervisors didn't let it happen. And I was coaching baseball at the time and one of the parents was in real estate and uh, he talked me into becoming his assistant. That's the way I got into the real estate industry and the real estate world and the mortgage side. Um, been in it for 20 years. I am now have a couple of companies. Um, right now, my biggest company in, uh, is DIY Lender. Uh, basically, we're going out there and opening other mortgage brokerages with other successful real estate com- uh, brokerages and team leads. Uh, we have eight brokerages right now uh, outside of California. We I have uh, my uh, branch out in California. So basically, that's me in a nutshell. All right. Well, you know, for anybody listening, if you haven't, picked up on it. We have two folks involved in real estate on the show today. Uh, yesterday, uh, Ashley, or our pr- prior episode, I say yesterday, we, re- we pre-recorded these episodes. I won't hide that. The cat's out of the bag now anyway, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, but um, Ashley Herrera from Part One uh, is in real estate, land development, loan, uh, mortgage loan broker. Uh, Pedro Manessas is in real estate, managing Airbnbs and in residential real estate as a realtor. Um, and then uh, we had Robert and uh, Patrick Bolaños is not. So, you know, half of our guests are involved in real estate. So the thing I want to impart, and again, the goal of, the goal of this effort for me, if I can get this in front of kids in classrooms today, is that success leaves clues. So more than half our guests are involved in real estate and super successful. So that's something to clue into. And we had a fourth guest for today, Alvin Johnson, who just could not make it. This man is super, super busy, super, super successful. Uh, Maybe I'll get him on uh, his own show down the road. Uh, I know he's disappointed he couldn't make it, but he is in real estate as well, actually holding a massive, as of this recording, three-day event um, for his business, uh, which is one of many businesses involved in real estate. So Success leaves clues, folks. And um, if you're looking to be successful, looking to create wealth, and looking to make change, we're going to talk about the things that propel us and where these folks give back later in the show. Uh, Being in real estate can be one of those careers that for sure can propel that for you. Um, So our first question is about, you know, is race or culture an issue uh, in today's society? And this is very appropriate because I'm going to turn this over to Fabian here in a minute. You know, the thing, the reason that I highlighted what I did about our local class and and the teacher I overheard is, you know, from a fundamental principle, I take a very dim view on government. I look at education as an extension of government. If you look at the budgets, it, it would be, in my opinion, intellectually dishonest to not connect the two because so much of a school budget comes from state and federal government. And with what we have going on in our society today, Excuse me if I just don't trust in the same educators that have been involved for 20, 30, 40 years 
to now all of a sudden say, well, we'll be the ones to affect positive change when most of what they gripe about um, has been on their watch. And so, so at its core, that's where I come from on these issues. And what I would rather them show our children, and Robert, uh, you can pick this up after we have Fabian go first, if you'd like. I'd rather them teach our children where these levers, where these things exist. So for you, Fabian, in lending, banking, that's one of these institutions that at times can have continued problems with race and culture in our society today. So on that, do you see that as an issue from your own perspective um, through both the, the lending aspect of things and then just in general? I mean, for myself personally, um, I, I've, I've, I was never raised that way. Um, me being a very, very light-skinned Latino, and it, it's funny because when most people meet me, they, everybody really thinks I'm Caucasian. So I'm fluent in Spanish. Um, that's actually my first language. Um, and I've had instances where people just will flat out be like, oh, you have white privilege, so on and so forth. So I don't, I don't allow it to the race card to really play any part in my life because I don't look at anybody differently. Um, if you really look at my family, my family is like the League of Nations. I, and we were from, my brother's married to a Filipino, a Caucasian girl. Uh, I have a bunch of family members uh, that are um, married to uh, black gentlemen. Like my family, you come into my household and it's like every color, every race, everything. So I was never raised that way. So I don't allow it to affect me that way. Um, it used to be an issue in our industry. Yes, because unfortunately, you know, when other cultures started gro uh, growing and stronger, being more educated, being able to move in, in a positive manner, you know, some communities didn't want those type of uh, individuals in their, in, in their neighborhoods. So it was an issue. Um, a lot of that has changed, but everybody wants to kind of keep us in the same limelight as if it hasn't, you know, to kind of put some speed bumps. Um, you know, my, like I said, when my family got here, my family went through a lot of things, um, race -wise. My dad played baseball in Cuba. When he got here, he wasn't allowed to play baseball. He was actually told to go play soccer because he was a Latino, you know, um, so it's stuff like that. But my family has never, ever allowed my brother and myself to ever take that and use that as a leverage to stop us from doing what we want to do. My brother's actually a physician, you know? Um, and my brother from when I was growing up, I could always remember my brother saying, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. My brother went and played college baseball as well, was given the option like the coaches told him you have to pick one or the other my brother decided i want to be a doctor and that's what he continued to do you know um so at the end of the day it, it it's i feel that you know race is thrown out there in in a in a in a way to make people feel like they cannot move forward and um i just don't truly believe that i tell my daughter every day i have a 13 year old daughter and i tell her you're light Skin Latina. Her parent, you know, she's half Mexican, she's half Cuban. Her Mexican side, did same thing. They came here, worked hard. Her mom's first generation here too. And I tell her every day, people are going to look at you and people are going to say you have privileges, but they don't understand what your family went through and what your family has done to be able to give you the opportunities because I'm working my butt off 
to make sure my daughter has more opportunities than I had. My parents, yeah. my dad, my dad was in the Air Force and then became literally the mailman. Cause I used to tell people my dad was the mailman and they thought I was joking. <laughs> um, and then my mom worked with Wells Fargo making 12, when she retired a couple of years back, my mom was still only making $12 an hour. Me and my uh, brother yeah. took every advantage that my parents gave us to move forward. And we, one thing that always stuck in my brain as growing up and everything was what my grandfather taught me. And my grandfather would always tell us, we come from a country that everything was taken from us. Every single thing. We had no, they had no rights. Their, their food was, you know, rationed. Um, if they spoke against the government, it wasn't, you know, oh, pitter patter. It was literally, I had family members uh, put in jail for 25 years. I had family members executed through the Cuban, uh, through the Castro regime with, uh, with all his everything. Yeah, and, and let's not let's not mix it up that Cuba, your your parents fled Cuba as a communist nation. Correct. Correct. Uh, so when so, I see what's going on sometimes, I'm just, like, I have two grandmothers that are 97 and 95, and my grandmothers look at me, they're very, you know, um, capable still. And they literally look at me and they're like, you're going, this is, this is what happened to us. Like, the way the steps are moving, rights being taken away, um, you know, certain, certain aspects of how the government has been moving, like my grandmothers look at me and they're like, yeah, this is, this is how it started for us, you know? But like I was saying, you know, I, I tell my daughter all the time, like you, you got to realize what your family came from. My grandfather always told us, this is the only country that you could come to and have the opportunity to make something out of yourself. And my brother and myself are a perfect example. Gladys is a perfect example, Right. We can, you know, my parents came here, they busted their butts to be, uh, give us a better opportunity and a better life. And we took advantage of it. We didn't sit on it. We didn't let people tell us, you know, I had many people tell me I was, I shouldn't be able to, I, I'm not capable of doing something. I always used to look at it and be like, okay, cool. I did, I keep a list. And every time I could, it's like, I check it off, proved you wrong. Proved, yeah. And I don't have to say it to them, but to me and myself, it's like, all right, another one off the list. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So good for you. Something I'm, tr- I'm truly proud of. Like, uh, it, it, there's nothing like it. There, I mean, it's not a perfect country. It's not, we have a lot of things that need to be fixed, but unless you go out and you visit other countries, like where my family came from, where Gladys came from, and so on and so forth, and actually experience what life is truly there, you really have no clue how good we really truly have. Right. Right. Very good. Well, thank you for sharing. We'll go to Robert. And then uh, Gladys, we'll have you pick it up. Okay. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, one of the things that I heard in the conversation yesterday that really stuck out, and then that is you get what you pay attention to. You get what you look at. And one of the things I admire and love about the people in this room and in this community is that we have a tendency, a mental proclivity to look for opportunities. So we have a greater tendency to make progressive steps because we're not constantly looking at the barriers. We, we're over, overpowering the barriers. But the reality is that everybody is not like us. We are a rare commodity. But there are a lot of people in society that are completely oblivious to what's going on. And sometimes I feel a certain responsibility once I become enlightened or educated and I understand this is a process that's happening and this is impacting you in a negative way. I need to share that information or allow it to continue injustice to continue to happen. As Martin said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So one of the things that I mentioned yesterday is that 
uh, years ago, Trump incited, he established a, uh, it was called empowerment zone policy, which was really a good bill. It was designed to give wealthy people an opportunity to have tax breaks when they made investments in deprived communities. But the problem with that situation is that many of the people who lived in those deprived communities did not understand anything about these policies. So when the investments came in and they started buying up properties, rather than them partnering with them or leveraging the opportunity to build something for themselves, they were gentrified and moved out of those spaces. And those spaces were taken over by other people who came in under this, this bill that made it possible for them to make investments in those communities. That's the problem, right? And people that are impacted by that, even though I may not be because I'm intelligent enough to understand, yeah, that's not the way this deal is going down. <laughs> but the people who are impacted by that, for me to be silent and not speak up would be a travesty. So recently there has been, I think in 2021, a presidential act established for racial equity, which means there's supposed to be racial equity in every city, every school system. One of the things that was done when Biden established that act is he revoked a Trump act about the 1776 uh, commission, which was really designed to try to take us back to a state of original founding father mentality, which impacts actually the curriculum that are implemented in school systems. So I'll put it to you like this. Either one of us that's on this call, we saw a person touch one of our children, as a child in our community in an appropriate way. We would take action. We wouldn't sit by passively and watch no, 100%. That happen. But the reality is that when these policies and processes come into place where they're touching our children intellectually in a negative way, just like I appreciate you acting because you heard it. You heard this, the question. It provoked you to have this passion to say, you know what? That's not acceptable. So right. for me, there's a certain fiduciary responsibility, a duty yeah. I have, a civic duty to say, okay, one, silence is consent. And if I'm going to be silent, once, if I didn't know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything. But if I know and I'm going to be silent, it's a problem. Even though I'm successful, but to see my peers and other people in my neighborhood being impacted by this in a negative way and me to remain silent, I can't do it. I can't do it. You're right, Robert. It seems to me like a lot of times they don't, what they do isn't to protect other new generations in any way or form. You know, it's how can they make another dollar off of of that situation? And it is sad. Mm -hmm. I mean, just you saying the whole thing about someone touching your kid in that aspect. I mean, I live in California. I have a 13 year old daughter. I have to worry about my daughter going into a public restroom and someone being able to walk in of the different Mm -hmm. gender into the bathroom Mm -hmm. right behind her. You know, mm. and yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not for that. I tell her all the time, like, you be very careful. I don't let her go by herself. Don't get me wrong. But I've told her, it's like, uh-uh. I, I, mm, yeah. we're not, we're not protecting our, our, our kids anymore. It, it, yeah. You know, it's, it's sad. Yeah. It's sad. And they and, make it seem that it's okay. And it's not. Right. Right. Uh, you know, so we'll go to Gladys here in a, in a minute uh, on this topic of race or cu- race or culture and issue in t- today's society. You know, uh, Robert, you said the the question that I overheard from my son's teacher that sparked me was why why people of color can't achieve the American dream. Had that statement been why some people in our country can't achieve the American dream? That's a very different perspective. That's a very different lesson from the front of the room because that's a very true statement. You know, there are some people who are born with physical and mental inabilities and have different capabilities because of that. 
Uh, there are people born into abject poverty. I get that. But when it is that absolute statement, that to me, just when you then have one student looking at a teacher who I want kids to admire teachers, they have an integral part in our society. But when that child can look at that teacher and say, did they just say I can't achieve? That's, that's, that's where I find it. That's, that's been my issue. And I've tried to push back on that, but they, this is the way they want to dig in. So Gladys, for you, what are your thoughts? What's your perspective? I think when, when they actually tell the kids this, they're planting a seed of the victim mentality. That's my problem with it because all of a sudden the kids are saying, Oh, well, then I can't. Well, then I can't then, you know? So then they grow up thinking that way. And then the media is saying the same thing. And then everybody else is saying the same thing. So all of a sudden they're in this atmosphere where they can't do anything. And I understand like the racial equality, but no matter how many bills get passed that will benefit all minority groups, if the minority groups are prepared, how are they going to take advantage of that? You know, that, and, and, you know, going back to what Robert said, it's like, you have to be ready no matter how many books you get. If you don't take action, just like in business, if you don't take action, you're not going to get anywhere. And then that, oh, that's because I'm not supposed to, I'm a victim. I, oh, I forgot. I'm a victim. You know, I'm not supposed to grow, you know, grow into this. And I always tell my kids, always question things. If you think there's something wrong, you need to speak up because you need to be the only one speaking up. And guess what? If you are the only one speaking up, someone else is going to say, you know what? That makes sense. And what other other people are saying, no, it makes sense. Now you have somebody else. But if you don't take the first step, then nobody will. And everybody's kind of like retreats into not saying nothing. And then they're like, oh yeah, but we're a victim. I forgot. We're a victim. So I don't like that thinking at all. I have five kids. Okay. Five kids, 30 years old, 22, 21, eight, and one that just turned six this week. You know, the older kids, I always tell them, you need to think for yourself, no matter what your friends tell you, no matter what your teachers tell you, you have to always ask yourself, does that even seem right? And question them why. They have to tell you why. They can't just throw out a statement and not be responsible for explaining why, especially if they're the teachers. And if they have a problem with explaining to you why, then that's the problem because they're not going into, every person has their own agenda. I have my own agenda. I originally, I'm originally Mayan, right? I'm Mayan and I'm Aaron that I just found out not too long ago. But, you know, if I want to get mad at and be mad at every white person for killing, you know, the babies, the baby Mayans for cutting the tongues, you know, when they were trying to read their language or they're trying to read their language for forcing them to be Catholic, to be Christian and not worship the sun god and not worship um, the goddesses or whatever. That was their religion. So they took over some another place to impose their religion so they could have freedom of religion, but the actual Mayans couldn't have their own religion. You know, but why am I going to be mad at something that happened so long ago? I mean, and be mad at every white person that I see. It's the past. We're not there. Let's move forward. Let's teach ourselves and teach the kids so it does not repeat itself. But you're not asking questions as a child. You're not questioning the system as a teacher. That is the problem. You have to stand up for what you think is right, not for what is the trend, not what for is the hashtag. Because every hashtag 
it seems like every three years, four years, a hashtag comes up new and it's like, okay, what happened to the other hashtag? You know, we can't live. We're not a hashtag world. We have real yeah. lives and the kids, every kid is learning from us how we react to things negative or positive. But if we are um, negative all the time, they will be negative. They will always be like in a defensive mode, not in a, a, a space of, of uh, being grateful and being generous. You know, you can't be mad at what happened years ago. First of all, Jeff didn't go chop my whoever's tongue. Jeff is my friend. You know, I can't be mad at people that had nothing to do with that. It was a different you just world. Actually, than... You just actually taught me some history. <laughs> yeah, it was a different world. It was a different train of thinking, you know. My ancestors used to chop people's heads, other tribes' heads and play soccer with them, basically. You know, so mm -hmm. even in between people, they would do that. So that's what I'm saying. You can't be mad at things that happen. Let's move forward. How can you learn? How can you make things better? How can you help your other student? If another student feels like they're depressed, we'll talk to them. What's going on, you know, and make a friend. You don't know what they're going to. I was a foster kid. A lot, of, a lot of people, I didn't speak about me being a foster kid until I was, um, I want to say like 43. <laughs> My kids didn't even know I was a foster kid. I was married for 13 years. Oh, wow. She didn't even know I was a foster kid. Because I never spoke about that, you know? But yeah. it's like, I want to encourage people to be able to talk about what, they, what they've been through. And yes, it's very important because it shaped me. It shapes other people. It shapes other kids. But then again, it's like, where does that stop? Where does poor me stop? Where does let's, I'm a victor. I won. I won the fight. I was living in survival mode for so long. And now it's like, you know what? Forget these people. I need to just focus on what I want to do. And I think that race, the card, the calling, the being angry, it doesn't, it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help people grow because they're always stuck in that, under that cloud. They're afraid to get sunshine because they want to sit here because they lived here because this is familiar. That's what I yeah. think about all of it. And, and yes, I mean, I could, like I said, they threw babies in fires because they wanted to kill everybody, you know? Yeah. And, you know, how am I going to be mad at that? I can't be mad at any, every person that I perceive to be white, a white person. I have a daughter. She was born in Guatemala eight years ago. You know, she looks white, but she's Guatemalan. She looks white. She could be Jeff's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody will know that. Nobody would ever know she was born in Guatemala. I promised so my wife like, I have no other children. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like you can't yes. judge it by its cover. You can't, you know, right. there's a lot of, I, we have a lot of clients. I have clients and like, for example, this country is amazing. I'll tell you one thing. This is where real estate. I am doing a loan in another country for a person, right? And they asked me how old he was. Because after 60 years old, you can't get any kind of financing. You can't get insurance. You can't get nothing. Nothing. Your family better take care of you because you're out. You're done. If you live in a cardboard box, that's where you're going to be. Because you can't buy a oh, wow. another house. Yeah. And I'm going through that right now. It's 2022. I'm going through that right now with the client. And they base how many years your loan's going to be on the age that you are. So if you're 60 something, I mean, if you're like in your, they can, oh no, you can get a loan or any kind of financing after you're um, 80. So if you're going to be 80, you're 60, you're going to be 80, your loan's only 10 years old, 10 year loan. That's it. That's your loan. Wow. 
So it's like a lot of people don't know what they don't know. Until, like like Samian said, you have to really be out there. I'm out there. I've, I help kids in other countries, you know, and I give them literally food and take stuff because they are living in dirt. Right now, 2022, they're living in dirt floors. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have uh, an aunt and uncle doing mission work for 20 years in Guatemala. So yeah, I've, I've been able to see into that window, um, yeah. not live the experience as you have by going down there as often as you do. Uh, you know, to kind of wrap this section up and then we'll move on. The thought that I left uh, our recording yesterday was, you know, the bridge between awareness and lived experience is empathy. Gladys, you touched on it. Again, my hope is this this content gets in front of students in school right now. Um, and you touched on, if, if you see a kid struggling for whatever reason, no, it's not because they're weird or that they're different. I mean, they may be different, but they're not choosing to be. The reality is they've got a struggle going on. And the, probably the greatest thing you could do is, is to be that person's friend in the moment. And then friend in the next hour and in the next day in the week and then your friends for life like that would be something you should strive to do one thing we left yesterday's show with and, you, and you're starting to hear it formulate today is a duty there's a duty to your family to your children to your communities to lead you have a you know as a student listening to this if you have children uh, and you hear your kids talking about this kid has got these struggles and these problems challenge them Challenge them to their duty to be a friend in school. Besides learning, what else is their job? Be a friend. You'll help our world tremendously. So thank you for bringing that out in the show, Gladys. I appreciate that. So our next kind of next round of discussion, um, and we'll come from the bottom up here on the screen. So I'll have Robert kick it off and then Fabian and Gladys. So this is about like race and culture making a difference in today's society. Yeah, really, how are our kids being affected by practices, policies, uh, maybe effects on your career, um, maybe a prominent issue you've come across? Well, I think I mentioned yesterday that, <clears throat> yeah, race has definitely affected my life, my children's life. I actually have grandchildren. And many of the things, one of the things I wanted to touch on, and this uh, is a consistent idea, I celebrate this experience right now because we're in a room of people who are conscious to understand that in order to create a change in society, you have to take your own personal experience, your own empathy, and celebrate the growth moving forward, right? So that's a part of this process. But in order to really create this outcome, one of the things that I've discovered and in my own career and in my children's life, one, one thing that was consistent was, like Gladys mentioned, you have to teach your children how to think because the school is not set up to teach them how to think. It gives them information. It's not teaching them how to be discerning, to be discriminating about asking questions, getting answers, or questioning authority when needs be, right? So my thought is that there are three basic things that all of us have a duty to do. One is we need to be aware. It's not okay to just walk around in a state of oblivion when the world is being impacted in certain ways and is affecting other human beings on the planet because we have a duty to each other because it's only one person in this room. We are all one. Second thing is we need to speak up. There are many times when people may see an injustice that they're silent about because they don't want to, you know, I don't want to cause no waves. That's not cool because silence is consent, which means you're adding to the problem, to the momentum of the problem. The third thing is we need to share. 
You guys are right now sharing some information that many people don't even get together in a room to talk about because of the taboo or controversial nature of it. We need to share. And there's one passage in scripture that really kind of is a theme, a foundation for me in terms of why I do what I do in Eddie's. In 1 Timothy 6, 17 through to 19, he says, Charge those that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, that they be ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up and store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. We're communicating with our experience, sharing our message. But the people that you've had on these shows, all of them have not only communicated verbally, they contribute financially to support and to contribute and to help alleviate some of the suffering that exists in the world. Regardless of how these things were caused, I'm not going back to the past to point a finger of indictment. I'm saying, I'm here now. We are here now. We are here as guardians of humanity to say, what are we going to do about building the kind of world that we want our children and our children's children to live in? That's what yeah. I feel is our responsibility. Yeah, love it. I love it. Fabian. No, I agree with 100% with Mr. Nelson. I mean, you know, the fact of the matter that we don't take responsibility for our own at this moment, you know, I think one of the biggest issues in our culture, in, in culture today is entitlement. Everybody feels that they deserve everything without not putting in the time, not doing the effort, so on and so forth. Entitlement is huge in our culture right now. You know, it, unfortunately, everybody's out there with the hand, open hand, they, you know, and they don't want to contribute. They want to take, but they don't want to contribute. You know, I tell my daughter every day that she wakes up, you want to be number one. You want to do your best. Nothing is given. Nothing is free. You have to work for it. Okay. And she's asked me, dad, why do I want to be number one? Um, and it's like, mama, there'll be times that you're not going to be number one. And what are we going to do? We're going to sit down. We're going to look at everything of what's going on and why you're not there yet. And we're going to, we're going to start tweaking everything to get there. But, and I remember my daughter in the fourth grade telling me, dad, I want to be in first honors, but she wasn't there. She was having trouble. She was having trouble with math. She was having, I was like, okay, let's, let's sit down and look at this. From that point forward, she started going to tutoring. She started working her butt off. She started doing, she, she realized nothing was given. And at that very point, she started getting first honors day in and day out from that point on. She came to me in the sixth grade and she said that she went to some, um, uh, some like, uh, academic tournament at a high school. And she came back from that and she was like, I want to go to high school, private school, all girls school. I'm like, first off, I was like, damn, it's expensive. But <laughs> I was like, all right. But I told her, I go, if you do everything you want to do and you get accepted into that school, I will not tell you that. She's in summer school. She just finished summer school there. She starts freshman year next year or in, mm. in, the, oh, in like two awesome. months, right? Mm. Everything happens to us. Every, it's like everybody has forgotten our, like hard work. No one wants to do the hard work. Everybody has forgotten that in order to go from point A to point B, there's going to be struggles. I could be the first one to tell you I have failed more in my life than I have been, uh, that I've, I've accomplished. Because in order to be able to learn and to accomplish, you have to fail. And too many, we're, we're teaching our kids and we're teaching yeah. this culture to be fearful of taking a leap of faith, of taking a risk of going out there and working your butt off to 
accomplish what you truly want. Yeah, hundred you know? percent. And, and that I, entitlement, know. that entitlement, it, it, it's killing is is it, is a huge killer in my opinion. Like I tell my daughter, do not bring me a participation trophy into this house. <laughs> I do, if if you did not earn that trophy, and you're gonna come in and be like, hey, dad, look, they gave me. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not earned. <laughs> my grandfather yeah. would have burned it in the in the fireplace. My grandfather would have looked at me and been like, uh-uh, mio. So, uh, no. I get, I, I get the feeling from the stories you told me about your grandfather. He'd make you throw it in the fire. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Crack and you it in what? half and throw it. I, I, I appreciate. <laughs> it's funny, too, because my parents tell me sometimes that I'm too strict with my daughter. And the funny part is I tell my parents, I'm raising her the way you guys raised me. My daughter, like I literally, my daughter knows we walk into a household or we walk into somewhere. I was always taught, you're the person walking in. You're the person who actually introduces yourself. And you're the person who goes and says hi to everybody. Right? Uh I like, I tell my, like manners are huge in our household. Like table manners, you know, all that. I'm raising my daughter the way I was raised and I'm proud of it because I've seen, like I go hard. I work. I'm not the smartest person in the world. Like I'm not like, Literally, you guys know that the networks we're around. You, you guys understand mm. the tables we sit at and we sit at. I mean, I literally sit there sometimes. I'm like, why am I even sitting here? I mean, I also know that I bring something to the table, but at the same time, it's like you 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 have to put yourself in those in those in those moments in order to move forward. And too many people are scared now. I used to be that scared person. The first time I met Jeff, I was at a table with people where I was listening. At first, I was like, damn. What am I doing here? Class invited me to sit down and have lunch with them. And I was like, all right. But then I understood also that I brought something to the table was when Jeff started asking questions and, you know, he started pulling it out of me. Right. Um, but this entitlement, this not working hard, this everything should just be given to me. You know, you know, that kind of stuff. It, it just, to me, it is ruining our culture. A hard work doesn't, it doesn't it needs to be everywhere. That needs to be taught in our in, in our in our schools and in our communities. You know, there, yeah. Um, there's there's never a punishment for hard work, right? Either there may be a lack of result, right? Because the work might have been applied in the wrong way. Maybe the message didn't resonate. You know, maybe the audience wasn't ready for it. But there's always a lesson, right? From hard work, um, Gladys. Let's have you wrap up this section. I believe that people are, it goes back to being afraid to share and to help. Um, <sighs> I don't know. It's been a couple of times where you see people that, oh, I've seen a couple of videos, like social media videos, where people are really quick to take out their phone to video than they are to help. I think we need to be more oh, yeah. into helping and not looking to see what you're going to get out of somebody's demise of somebody's somebody being hurt. Um, as kids, we have to learn to be that way also because, like I mentioned before, I was in a in a foster care system, and I went to different schools. You know, and I was I didn't never knew what's the family that I was going to how they were going to be. I never knew that because you were scared. You're just like, I only had a bag of things that I owned. <laughs> so it's like back to what I used to say, you have to talk to kids because I used to talk to kids that were like me. 
you know, like I didn't know they were like me. I just, I'm not as far as, I'm not saying as far as foster kids, but what I'm trying to say is somebody that looked like they didn't want to play, somebody that looked like they were sad, somebody that looked that they probably didn't have any lunch money, you know? And I would help them. And I'm like, okay, do you, do you want to share? I mean, like, I was always like the giver when I was a kid because I was like in foster care. So it's like, okay, so how could I help? And now it's going on to where my kids are the same way. My kids always grew up being generous to other people, generous to the homeless people, generous to kids. Um, when we go to other countries, Callie, the little, the little girl, she takes a lot of dresses, the really nice ones, not the beat up ones, the really nice ones that she just grew out of. So every time we go out to dinner and we go, go out to lunch or breakfast and we go out, she gets a dress, she stuffs it in her bag. So while we're eating, we're scanning to see who might fit that dress. Very nice. And, she, and she's helping me, looking. And I always say, look, Callie, she might fit your dress. She might. So she gets her dress out. She opens it up. She walks it over to the little girl and gives it to her. Yeah. So we have, as parents, as teachers, That's we have special. to, yeah, we have to um, teach our kids to be in a giving heart. Because they're so much into the video games. They're so much into everything else that's so self-centered into their own world that they're forgiving, forgetting that other kids don't have that. And like Stephen was saying, you know, all the uh, things that they, they think that they deserve when other kids don't even have a force of that. So I think that we have to teach our kids to be more, um, and in schools too, to be more giving. You just can't be a victim of, of things. You have to teach them to be strong. You have to teach them to be leaders because what, what's being taught by everybody else in media, it's like you're a victim. So as a victim, you don't do nothing. You don't take action and you don't teach anybody or help anybody. So that's the way I think the school system or parents should teach their kids to always give, raise them in, in a give, with a giving heart. Um, and like, for example, Callie, she does it all the time. We go to LA we buy a whole bunch of toys and she gives them out. She just gives them out. I want her to have that feeling of always wanting to give. So when she sees someone, she can at least give something and make change that little kid's day and and know that there's kids out there that care about that, about that kid. A yeah. kid cares about another kid. It's not just an adult, it's a kid, a little kid at that, you know, at that point. But we have to teach our kids that um there's a lot of good good adults out there that want to help them. And they have to be able to feel free to come to us for help or guidance or or anything. Like they, we just have to open ourselves up and be that person that they're they can feel like they're approachable, you know, that they can approach. So I think that um kids, you know, talk to if you if there's somebody that you trust, talk to them. Talk to whoever it is. It just you don't have to tell them the whole story, but tell them one thing to, to make yourself feel safe. You know, you don't feel safe yep. somewhere always tell someone that you don't feel safe. Yeah. Can I add uh, something to that, Thank Jeff? you. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So going back to Glad, like Gladys's points are great. Like they're so on point. And it's crazy because everything she's saying and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, if you were, I, I'm a true believer everything starts at home, right? Because if you put a group of young, like younger kids, let's say one to five, doesn't matter what color, race, anything, and you put them around and you watch them, they don't, all they see is kids and all they want to do is play. I think what happens is us as adults and us as parents, we have to take a lot of more responsibility and not allow school 
other kids, other parents to have so much weight on our own kids. And it has to start at home because yeah. that's where it comes from. But, and I would add, we shouldn't, as parents, allow so much of culture and society, i.e. social media, have so much weight. Exactly. Um, My daughter's 13. She doesn't children. have social media. I don't allow it. Yeah. There's too yeah. many keyboard bo- that's, warriors. That's a rarity there, right there. There's too many keyboard warriors. There's too many people that, yeah. uh, you know, kids these days, and once they get to a certain age, and it, and and parents don't take responsibility for this, they there's a lot of bullying. There's a lot of, you know, let me send a message in, you know, uh, in Messenger and, and tell you you're ugly or you're this or you're that or you're overweight. Yeah. And, you know, a parent has to take responsibility. I had my daughter bullied. Um when she was going through, uh, and I've spoken to Gladys about this because me and Gladys are like, she's like my sister. She's out here in California too. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I share a lot with her, but my, do- my daughter was going through, you know, during the pandemic, right? They were doing the social distancing um, education. They had a platform with Google, uh, the Google platform where they were turning in their homework. Well, one of the little girls that for whatever reason doesn't like my daughter, again, they're not at school, goes in and starts deleting her work. We've had, instances with her before where I finally had to go to the teacher and be like, look, if you don't talk to the parents, I'm going to go talk to the parents because at this point now you're affecting my daughter. Not, you know, they're already having a hard time with this pandemic and being in home, not being a socialized, not being able to do anything. And I'm not going to have my daughter tell me she doesn't want to go to school because a parent doesn't want to take a responsibility because they do not, they have not shown their, their child how they truly should um, act in public, treat other human beings, and socialize. You know? Yeah. And it starts yeah. at home. I'm a true believer that that. I, don't, I, I tell my daughter too, if you allow someone to be bullied, you're just as big as a bully. I tell her, don't yeah. allow people around you to bully other people. I go, and I yeah. find out if you are bullying someone, that's going to be a major problem when you come home and I <laughs> and me and you have yeah. this conversation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so on the note of, uh, of, you know, to put a little bow on this, on this section, things that I heard that I really want to drive home for people listening, especially students, if you listen to this, um, you know, first and foremost, I'm going to put my guests on the spot. My greatest hope, and I'm, I'm thinking it's yours too, would be if you as a youth in the classroom right now, young adult, listening to this, connect with anybody on the screen, where you're going to see in the show notes, their social channels, their websites. Um, if you feel compelled, if you like what Gladys is talking about, you like what Robert, Fabian are talking about, or any of the other recordings guests, please reach out to them. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I have your commitment here on the spot, right here, right now, that you would take them under, under your wing because, you know, it warmed my heart to hear Fabian. And I know Robert, you've had these conversations with your children, your grandchildren, Gladys, same for you, but you know. Fabian, it warmed my heart when you relate those conversations with your daughter. And, you know, we, you know, we're all, we're all having stronger family units. And, and I get not every child has that. So if you're listening to this, you're like, wow, I don't have that. Mm-hmm. Take, take the opportunity to say, Fabian, I heard how you talked to your daughter about, about grades and about getting an honor society. Could I ask you something? And I'm, I'm pretty sure Fabian's going to like reply to that message. And Absolutely, 100%. And help you, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say there. This fear of failure thing, you know, it's there. It, it, it's there in adults, right? We, we call it imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think the education system today 
almost fosters it. I know my son, we almost didn't, I almost came to Million Dollar Mastermind. I did it because it was his high school graduation. But six weeks out, he was failing English, the last full credit course he needed to get. And I said, son, if you don't turn it around, I'm not going to stay home for graduation weekend because you're not going to walk. I have an amazing place to be. I don't want to be there. I want to be with you. And what led to that was the teachers allowing these children to do mm. makeup tests and turn in homework, homework whenever. Don't be that learner. Don't be that student. Just because you can mm -hmm. doesn't mean you should. And I guarantee you, if you're that student, turning in the homework on time, getting the best grades you can on every test every time, your journey in the classroom is going to be up here. It's going to be aces for you. I guarantee that. Connecting with, connecting with your classmate, please, you know, definitely, definitely do it. And, you know, Robert, you read off some scripture. And again, in the classroom, sadly, today, that's a touchy <laughs> subject, right? Like some teachers might it. be... I get you know, but that's, but listen, I don't, you know, I, I'm not here. I'm not here to, to squash that. I'm here to lift it up. And if you go back and listen to what Robert said, it's really about bringing people who are on our level to a level where we share and connect with others because it is our duty. And like connecting with other children in your classroom, other students in the halls, it's your duty because they're your peers and you need to connect with them. So I loved, loved that section. So as we wrap up the last question, and I love this one, uh, I want to hear from each of you, your vision for changing the world, your vision of what you do, why it serves humanity, maybe touch on the charities that you give back to, uh, the things that, that really kind of get your gears moving, get you motivated. Um, let's see, which way, who has not gone first yet? Gladys, I think you need to go first. I think Robert hasn't gone first. <laughs> okay, Robert gets to go first. Then. <laughs> I don't mind. Uh, I appreciate the question, and uh, I will say unequivocally, this experience is what I see needs to happen for how the world needs to change. This is very rare that people will come to a forum and have this kind of discussion. So I take my hat off to you, Jeff, for even uh, implementing or initiating this process. Because the kind of dialogue that's coming out here, and I'm quite certain that there are many things, emotions, and thoughts that were not originally on the surface of our minds until we started interacting with each other. Because synergy is real, right? It yep. brings out a lot of greater insight. That's one of the reasons why we're part of a mastermind organization. It's because when you listen to the thoughts and insights of another individual, it sparks new thoughts and insights in your own mind as well. And you have a greater contribution that you can make. So I believe that part of the solution going forward is that we have to continue this kind of interaction, having the courageous conversations and having the philanthropic attitude like Gladys talked about. Because what I'm, one of the things that I do is I'm a part of an organization called Redline Fundraising. And we give away funds. We raise funds for uh, sports teams, uh, primarily not just sports teams, chess teams, uh, booster clubs, whatever kind of clubs. Last month, we raised over 800 grand, right? Over the course of the year that we've been doing this, we've, we've given away over $3 million to high schools across the country. Because many of these schools, they don't have the resources that they need to have in order to do some of the things that they want to do, particularly those schools that are on a uh, supplemented lunch program, right? So what mm -hmm. we do is we go into the system and say, okay, what can we do to be of assistance and to help you have the resources so that your students can excel without all the pressures 
And many of the things that I, and I heard a couple of people mention something about both uh, bullying, the issue, and not just bullying because of race, but just because you're different, uh, because mm-hmm. you're poor or because you're fat or because you're quiet or whatever the cause may be. I really take my hat off to Fabian and to Gladys because they create an attitude among their children that makes them accountable to say, when you're in those spaces, you need to do something to help other people. I believe that the design for humanity is that this kind of an attitude of love and charity is something that's supposed to be perpetuated by all the humanity across the board, but it starts with us. So the fact that we can be in a space and we can give back and give something to other organizations, uh, I think is a part of the initial stepping stones and we begin to set a pattern. A part of what I do, because I actually raise some funds for entrepreneurs through the Apex program, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I do when I teach this is that when I give funds to a young person, say, okay, we'll help you with your enterprise, your business, but you have a responsibility. As you succeed, you've got to help somebody else. You got to reach out and look for somebody that you can help because you're receiving help. So we establish a legacy and create a pattern for them to follow through example. We lead by example, not by conversation. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be in this discussion and with everybody else that's on this call. And it was on the call yesterday, because you guys are setting a standard that is rare in America. So success in America, this is what it looked like. Yeah. Love it, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Gladys, now you're on the spot and you can't get out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to echo Robert also that we are very grateful for having us here. And I think that we should be speaking more because a lot of kids always think that the successful people were already successful in one way or another. Like they were, they didn't have any problems at all or they were raised in like a happy family, you know, or they were raised with a lot of money. And I think if we speak about, we, we as entrepreneurs talk about us growing up and sharing all our failures and all the struggles that we have, there's kids that could be in that same situation right now, you know, and they're just like, oh my God, that person is just like me or that, you know, they can actually identify with the situations and they feel like we can help them. So what Jeff said, you can definitely reach uh, reach out and let us know if there's something that we can help you with as far as it can. Even the teachers can, you know, if you want to just talk and say, oh my God, you know, I really just want to get this off my chest. And, you know, how do we, how do we do it? Because there's a lot of teachers, we forget that the teachers are dealing with all these kids that are coming from all these homes, that are coming from all these neighborhoods. And there they are here. And the teachers have been put in a spot. That's a tremendous point. Uh, the, the, the second one, I'm, first one being the bullying thing that I'm really glad this episode pulled out because I think that was well worth discussion. But Gladys, to your point about teachers, absolutely. You know, I think my guests on the prior, on episode one or part one, I should say, uh, would, would probably agree as well. If, if there were to be a teacher that reach out, reaches out to you folks, and would go as far as maybe to invite you to speak for 20, 30 minutes in a classroom session via, you know, this media, a Zoom, mm-hmm. internet-connected media. I'm guessing you all would do it because 100%. you're committed 100%. to this. To this. Brought us great point about supporting our teachers because, yeah, I mean, they've got their own lived experiences. They do have their own level of awareness, but 
Mm-hmm. Bridging, and they may be bridging that. Too. They yep. may mm-hmm. be getting bullied too. They may be getting the cold shoulder. They may be getting the side eye. They may be, yeah. you know, you don't know. It's still a work environment for the teacher. It's still work place. You know, they're just responsible for all these little people. So it's yep. just like, I feel bad for the teachers that have to deal with having to stay in the lane that they want them to stay in. And there's no one that they can talk to as far mm-hmm. they don't want to talk to the family because maybe they want to tell it, act, they want to say, you know, oh, yeah, work is good. But what about if they want to talk to someone? Who do they talk to? Who do they reach out to? Yeah. Who do they reach out to? You can Without reach out to us. Yes, yeah, hundred percent. I love that. Love that. Thank you, Gladys. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Fabian. Let's uh, bring us home, my friend. I'm um, for myself. You know, I've always I do what I do for legacy, not more than anything than that. I want to leave a, a footprint. With what I do, you know, um, what I've been trying to do, what I love to do is help people. Um, a lot of people that are minority, Latino, which wherever they come from, I've been told they're not able to accomplish something, so on and so forth, especially in the real estate mortgage world. Um, I want to change that. You know, one of the things that we do is we have a hundred family program where we're trying to change a hundred families that were told no to yes in one form mm. or other, how we could do it. We're 35 families in. I, I'm a mm-hmm. long ways to go. Congratulations. Right. Um, so certain things like that. I want I want to build legacy walls for my family. I want my daughter to be, I'm not gonna give my daughter everything and anything, but I want to give her a, a an extra step that she can continue from what I'm building. I'm just a building block for her life. Right. I want her to continue building on that block so she can build for her family when she has a family and so on and so forth. You know, and a couple of things I want to leave. To say, like to build on what Robert and uh, Gladys were stating. I mean, speaking directly to the students, if they're seeing this and whatnot, one, there's no entitlement. You got to work hard. You got to bust your butt. You got to make sure that if you want to do something, someone is always going to look at you and might be like, you, you can't do that. Well, when someone tells you mm. that, you put that I'm in so your pocket. I'm so glad you're bringing this up. You, pick it, you put it in your pocket. And you keep that in your pocket because when you do accomplish it, what you do is you just throw it to the you throw it to the side. You don't give it any other thought, but you know you can you accomplish it. Don't think with the scarcity. Two, don't think with the scarcity mindset. When you think with scarcity and you think that there's not enough out there for you, that's when you start moving backwards. There's mm. so much out there. There's so much business. There's so much good. There's so much of everything, right? But everybody wants to think with the scarcity mindset that there's not enough. Well, you know what? I learned that with these these people. I learned that with this group. You know that you, there's so much out there. Like we're we're all in the same industry. Me and Gladys and and a lot of people are in it, and we work together. We help each other because there's so much business out there. So don't think with the scarcity mindset. And number three, don't ever let someone tell you that you can't do something, because once you believe that, that's the biggest hurdle to ever come to go over. Um, I've dealt with that personally when I was young. You know, I had people tell me I couldn't do things. And it took me a very long time to figure out the only person that could stop me from doing something is myself. Other than mm. that, no one can tell me different. Mm. I leave you with those three things. Powerful. Man, I love it. Love it. Way to uh, bring it home. Robert, Gladys, Fabian, this has been just an absolute pleasure. Uh, I hope anybody listening, anybody watching who may watch this, please connect with these fine folks. 
Um, you've got all their websites and social channels uh, in there. Um, I think they're even on TikTok and maybe even Snapchat. I don't know, but, you know, because Facebook's for the old people, right? Um, but, uh, but look, you can, you can look them up online and see what they're doing and really see that, you know, follow them because success leaves clues. They're going to, you're going to see things they do. They're going to see the action they take. And you can say, you know what? Robert did that. Gladys did that. Fabian did that. There's no reason I can't. And you start those little building blocks in your life and you start them young and they compound quick as you get older and as you gain momentum into adulthood. So I have enjoyed being able to be the person to bring these fine folks together. It's, it's really, really meant a lot to me. Thank you uh, so much for your time uh, on this show, dedicating this time, reaching out if anybody does connect with you, which I hope they do. Thank you for that time as well. With that, I'm going to end the show. So thank you. Thank you so Jeff, much. Can I, can I say something quickly? 100%. I, I thank you. I thank you. Because oh, you're, you're creating yes. history, brother. You are creating history. You are at well, the vanguard. And I have looked a lot of places. And I know that the audience, the people who are in this room, are very familiar. And this is very rare. So I commend you, my brother. Thank you so much. Well, I... I like I started out earlier in the show, be the change you want to see. Exactly. Thank you very much, yeah. Jeff. I mean, it means a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for taking the time. I know it's pressure. Pressure. That's pressure. Jeez. I know it's precious. <laughs> uh, I know it's valuable. Um, but I do appreciate you pouring into uh, our listeners for this show. All right. So with that, yes. thank you so much. And uh, as thank always, you. we'll see you on the next, the next show of The Big Ticket Life. Take care. All righty. Take care. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own Big Ticket Life, and now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.bigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what isn't possible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat, in your business, away from commodity and away from competition, into a market of one, so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.